0: Morning. Well, guess what? You guys have to listen to me today speak. Pastor has the opportunity uh, this week, and I hope that you'll be in prayer for that. That uh, he's up at his brother's church, Lancaster Baptist Church, and uh, that church has been so incremental and really the foundation of our own church. And once in a while, Pastor gets to go and speak for his brother at that church. And so I hope that today, as we're gathered together, that uh, you'll be in a spirit of prayer in your hearts and minds for a Pastor, even as he's preaching now, that God will work there, and then that God would work in our midst this morning. Aren't you thankful that God isn't contained by time or space? That all over the world and all over this weekend, there have already been services taking place. People's lives have been spoken to and uh, have been, uh, God's been working, and we're so thankful for that this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 37, is where we're going to start off this morning. We're going to be in a couple different passages. And as you're finding your place there, again, let me just say Happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads out there. And just, uh, again, as John kind of already said, uh, that is such a vital role. And uh, we live in an imperfect world, and if you are a dad, you are an imperfect dad. But praise God for the fact that God gives us that privilege, that opportunity uh, to be a father. And however he's done that, and and, uh, just that we have the opportunity to be a dad. And I'm so thankful for the father that I have and thankful for the, the, even the father figures in our church community that I've been able to look to and seek counsel and watch how you've been fathers and, and try to pattern my own fatherhood after that. And just so thankful that you guys would be here this morning. We've been in this series called Staycation. It hasn't been a great series. Uh, God has been teaching us, our church, a lot of things. And I hope that as our church has been learning things, you as an individual have been taking some things and taking them to heart. And uh, I'm so thankful, not only uh, for this series, but, you know, as we think about this idea of staycation, if you had to staycation somewhere, aren't you thankful that you live in San Diego County? Now, I grew up in a little, uh, little town in Oregon, and I promise you, if it came down to staycation in Oregon Or here, I'm going to pick San Diego every single time. And uh, I'm thankful for the the blessing of just being in this space and uh, in this series of staycation. We've been kind of talking about those times and seasons in our life where we're not always, just like a staycation, able to get away from some things. And sometimes those uh, things that God allows into our life to make us, to refine us, to to help us to be more like Him. And we learn some lessons through those seasons in our life. And the first week we talked about this idea of being still. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you come to those seasons in your life where you feel like, I've got to do something, I have to be proactive, and certainly there are moments like that, but there are some times where God just wants us to be still in those moments of our life and just listen to Him, to learn uh, from Him, and uh, we learned that the first week. The second week, we talked about our thoughts and the importance of of just understanding that the the way that we think about things, the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about our world, that, uh, that those thoughts are God thoughts. And we learn those thoughts from God's word and how much our thoughts really um, determine our destiny in life. And then last week, um, Pastor brought a great message from uh, Joshua uh, and the, the life of Joshua and, and the nation of Israel as they're crossing into the promised land. And, and the idea behind that message was you've not passed this way before. And just like today, we've never done this day before. We maybe have done some days like it, but we come through seasons in our life sometimes where it's like, I have never been this way before. I've never been here, and in those times, we've got to lean upon God and lean upon the counsel of God, lean upon His Word, and then praise God that He allows other people to be in our lives where we can go and seek counsel. Maybe some people that have been that way before, and we can learn from them. And so today, we're going to kind of continue in this series of staycation, and uh, Psalm thirty-seven is going to kind of be our landing place. But we're going to talk about this idea of having rest in our relationships. Rest in our relationships. And uh, we're going to take a look at this. One of the greatest parts about, uh, at least for us and our family, and I'll speak for us because that's all I know, but when we go on vacation, one of the great joys for us is is we we love coming back to where we live. We love coming back to where we work. We love coming back to our church community. And and how many of you are like that? You know what when you go on vacation or you go on away a way of trip, it's always pleasant when you're able to come back to a surrounding an atmosphere where you know you're loved, you're appreciated, there's peace and those types of things. But how many of you figured out sometimes there are relationships in your life that you want a vacation from? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? No one? Okay, I know it's a little dark in here. You guys can raise your hand. No one will know, okay? All right, so, and hopefully the person's not sitting next to you, um, but sometimes there are those seasons where you wish you could get a vacation uh, from somebody. And uh, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, I think all of us understand and appreciate when you have those relationships in your life that you look forward to being around, those relationships that you like to come back to because of what they do for you. They nourish you. But there are seasons in our life and relationships that we have to be around that are not always desirable or maybe at one time they were great and they were all what we expected but because of some type of failure or defeat that has taken place in that relationship that's not no longer the relationship that we desired and sometimes there's just our relationships that we can't get away from. We're, we have to be kind of maybe, if you will, in a season of, of staycation around those. And yet, those are the times that we want to seek God and say, God, what would you have me as a child of yours? What would you have me to do in those times? And so let's start in Psalm 37, and we'll read in verse 7, okay? The Bible says, rest in the Lord. Everybody say rest. Rest in the Lord. Now, don't do it during the service, okay? But rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass? Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, say, wait. Those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. Verse 11 But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance. God, we thank you again for the opportunity that we have to gather together to worship you this morning, and now as we get into these few moments together where we're going to study your word, I pray that our hearts, our minds uh, would be opened, Uh, Lord, that you'd clear sometimes the muddiness that we bring with us on a Sunday morning of just the events of of the week, maybe even just this morning, and uh, I pray you'd help us to learn a little bit more about you, and specifically in this area of relationships, Lord, all of us in this room today have some type of relationship that I really believe can be strengthened and be helped as a result of what we're going to learn today. And I pray you help us to take these little nuggets of truth that your word shares with us and apply it to our lives today. We do pray that you'd be with our pastor as he's in Lancaster this morning. I pray that you'd bless him, anoint his words. And Lord, I pray that the spiritual things that you want to have happen in that service will take place as we expect those things to happen here. We love you. We ask these things and all people said, Jesus name. Amen. All right. Uh, there was a recent sleep study that was done, maybe some of you uh, caught this, that uh, involved about 2,000 participants. And in this sleep study, they found that 34%, and these were all adults, 34% of the adults still slept with a teddy bear, some stuffed animal, a blanket or something of other sentimental value, all right? Now, I'm not going to take the time to go around and ask how many of you still sleep with a teddy bear, especially on Father's Day. That may be a little distracting for the fathers. But there's no doubt that we understand good and proper rest is just so needed for, for our mental health, for our physical health. And yet, as we come to Psalm 37, we need to understand that there is a rest, um, that only comes by having a close and walking relation, relationship with the Lord and why there are many cares and worries that we can leave in the care of God. Perhaps our relationships are one of the greatest areas of difficulty in which to do this. There's something about a relationship that when we're involved with uh, two or three people or, or more in a relationship, there's something about that that seems like we, we want to control that more than we're willing to let God control that. And we're going to let this, uh, this passage kind of break down this idea for us. And, and David wrote this psalm in contrast really the hearts of two different people you see in Psalm 37. In verse 7 you see that there seems to be a person who is a who is a believer who follows God and David is telling that person you need to rest in the Lord. But the other person that's being contrasted with that with that individual is a person who the person over here who should be resting in God who has a walk with God they're looking at other people in their sphere of influence and in their relationships who seem to be wicked, who seem to be evil who seem to be going after the things of this world, who seem to be being blessed, if you will. And they are spending their time getting so anxious and so worked up looking at this person that the God who loves them, that the God who created, the God who saved them, is saying, you need to rest in me. And this is a challenge, I think, that all of us face to some degree in any type of relationship that we face. And a lot of times we think of our relationships maybe that we experience at home or maybe our our marriage relationships, but I really believe the things that we're going to talk about today can apply to some of those relationships that we oftentimes don't consider as being the most valuable, maybe the relationships in our workspace or what have you, but I believe that God would uh, give us some truths today uh, to to not always spend our time maybe focusing on, on sometimes the way other people are getting ahead in life and, and maybe some of the relationships that we know aren't right with God, but they seem to be being blessed. This man in Psalm 37 is, is being encouraged to not look at those who seem like they're getting away with wrong, who seem like uh, there's, there's uh, blessings uh, taking place on their life. God wants us to not focus on the perceived successes and unjudged wrong or the influence others uh, of others. God tells us that we miss out on his rest That He wants us to have, and so today I want to look at a few thoughts that I believe will allow us to come to some rest in our relationships, and hopefully you've got some relationships right now in your life that are just so restful, you know what I mean, like you're just, it's comforting, they're nice to come to, um, but as good as those are, I also want to think about those relationships sometimes that we don't want to spend time thinking about. And learning how, how God would speak into my life through his word in this. And so first of all, as we're thinking about having rest in our relationships, I want to draw our minds to this point is to focus on the Father. To focus... On the Father. This psalm was written when David was older, and we cannot be certain all of the things that was facing him at this very moment when he wrote this psalm, but we do know that he was a man who had enemies, correct? If you've been with us on Sunday night, we've been studying the life of David. It's been a long series, but it's been super helpful. But one of the things that we've learned about David is he had enemies at every single turn. And uh, we cannot be certain of, of everything that he's taken place, but we do know he had enemies. He had enemies that were a natural production of him trying to do something for God. How many of you have ever experienced that? You're trying to do the best that you can for God, and as a result of living for God, there's an enemy in your life. There's a relationship that, that is working against you in that, all right? It helps to understand that when we do something for God, we will have enemies, but you also sometimes will even have relationships turn on you that seem to be the closest, And that's, most of the time, one of the hardest things to deal with in those relationships. And in a crowd like this, this morning, I'm sure somebody is currently going through something like this. Um, And as Pastor said, sometimes we're coming into something, we're getting right out of it, we're right in the middle of it. And so let's learn today of this, as we focus on the Father. Uh, David said in Psalm 41, verse 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Sometimes we have those relationships in our life of people that we love, we care about, we've even gone so far as to share meals with them and to spend that type of intimate, uh, committed time with them. And sometimes those people will even turn on us. Because of sin, we are a broken people, which means our relationships, to some degree, will all be dysfunctional. We're all dysfunctional to some degree, right? And our relationships even so. Even our most trusted and loving relationships will have times of unrest, And in these times, David points us to the Father first. And like all things for a child of God, looking to the Father first helps us put things in better perspective. Charles Spurgeon, uh, a great preacher of a long time ago, a theologian, he said of this particular passage in Psalm uh, 37, verse 7, he said, In a story we wait for the end to clear up the plot. We ought not to prejudge the great drama of life, but stay till the closing scene and see to what a finish the whole arrives. Sometimes that's hard because we get impatient. We look at the situation that we're in in a current relationship and we're immediately ready to come to a judgment upon that relationship. And sometimes we just need to wait and understand there's a better ending that God is working out. And uh, I love that truth this morning. This being Father's Day, I wanted to uh, take some time maybe to just see example of a father and son relationship where we see this truth of focusing on the father. And I was thinking about the great uh, example of Abraham and Isaac. I think most of us are at least familiar with the name Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. And in his old age, God came to Abraham and promised him that he would have a son and that he would be the father of this great nation. And God did the miraculous. God brought the son of promise, to Abraham. And we know that Abraham tried to do his own thing. You remember that? And tried to get God's promise, but do it his own way. And yet God, even in the midst of that, still brought blessing upon Abraham's life. And so Isaac was given to Abraham. And what a blessing. What, imagine as an older man, and understanding the promise that God had given him, and be able to see the fruition of this thing that God has promised you, and that there, there would be a great nation, and finally it's starting to begin. But the tone really changes in Genesis chapter 2 when God asked Abraham for the son of promise to be given in worship. If you've got your Bible, you can turn over to Genesis chapter 22. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. That's a good thing to say when God's looking for you, right, when he calls your name out. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, I cannot imagine that moment for Abraham. Again, he's an older gentleman. He's established in many ways of his life. God has uh, has told him, I'm gonna give you a son. You're gonna be the father of many nations. And, and, And then boom, here's this son. Everything seems to be going well. This is awesome. I can't believe God's plan is unfolding in my life. This is great. What's that, God? You want me to do what? Sometimes we can read a passage like that and kind of, in our mind, we go back to the flannel graph when we were in Sunday school. If you're fortunate enough to have a flannel graph, right? And we think about I just want you to think about that moment for the life of Abraham when God comes to him. And in no small terms, he doesn't say, I want you to surrender your son. You know, sometimes we we can have generic uh, terms of surrender to God. But God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. What? What, you're a God who loves, you're a God who creates, you're a God who gave us this promise. And so Abraham, he just, he obeys God. Abraham follows God at every turn, everything he did and everywhere he went, it was because God led him. In verse 9 of chapter 22, it says, And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in the order and bound Isaac his son. Imagine this process. And laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now, if you're a dad here this morning, I think all of us as parents could try to put ourselves in this situation, but specifically, if you're a dad here this morning with a child, imagine that moment. Seems like everything is hanging in the balance. You're trying your best to obey God, but you're also looking at the promise that your God gave you, and you're challenged in this moment. God sees the faithfulness of Abraham and provides an alternative sacrifice through a ram caught in a thicket, and we can all say amen for that, right? It's an amazing example of God the Father providing Jesus as an alternative sacrifice for us so that we do not have to pay for our sin. And I want you to know today that regardless of the father figure that you've had in your life, you have a Father in heaven who loves you, And never underestimate that God has such a high value on you that he sent his only son to be the sacrifice for you so that he could have a relationship with you so that you don't have to suffer in your sin in a place called hell. Jesus wants to have that relationship with you because the Father loves you that much. Never doubt that. And as amazing as Abraham's faith is, I want to draw your attention to the often overlooked faith of Isaac. As hard as it is to imagine the emotion running through Abraham, Isaac is amazing because as a young child, perhaps a teen, his faith really blows my mind. Because here's Abraham. God, you're going to do this in my life? Awesome, I'll do it. God, you've given me a son? Awesome, this is great. I'm seeing God's promises fulfilled in my life. I've seen God working in my life. But here's Isaac. To this point in his life, God has not called out to him. There's no big story. There's no crossing the Jordan River moment for Isaac. So all Isaac has is to look at his father who's looking at the father. Think about that type of faith. The Bible says in verse 7, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they Uh, Went both of them together. What I learned from Abraham and even Isaac is to keep our focus on the Father and understand that as I keep my focus on the Father, there are other people in my life who maybe they haven't had that type of close encounter or promise with God yet, but their faith is going to be strengthened as I keep my focus uh, on the Father. Isaac, no doubt, had seen his father's failures. But he kept his eyes and trust in his father. Our relationships in life, whether at home, work, or church, are going to have failures. But when we place those relationships at a higher value than our relationship with God, we will focus on the failures in those relationships rather than using it as a time to grow in our faith. Psalm 40, verse 16 says, Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord is. Be magnified. That's what the, what's the, what God wants in our life in every relationship that we have that we would magnify him. And so as we think about this this passage as it correlates uh, Abraham and Isaac as it correlates to Psalm 37, a couple thoughts to connect to this truth of, of focusing on the fathers. letter A, let God lead you in your relationships. Let God lead you in your relationships three times just in the passage in Genesis 22. It says that Abraham, Abraham went where God had told him there was too much at stake. We understand that, especially as parents. If Abraham had gotten any of that messed up, he doesn't know what the outcome would have been. And so everything that God said, yes, I'm going to do. Every step, every place that God led him, he followed. And I want to ask you this morning, don't answer out loud. But what, God, what is God leading you in a relationship right now? What struggle, what bitterness what reconciliation, what forgiveness needs to happen right now in a relationship, and you know God's been leading you to that, and yet you've been apprehensive, you haven't been following, you haven't been uh, seeking God's face and following him in that condition. We need to let the Lord lead us in our relationships. Let her be under this thought is to realize your focus has an audience. Realizing our focus has an audience. Not only did Isaac was Isaac watching Abraham, but you know what? Isaac had a mom, Um. There, the Bible also says in that same passage that Abraham brought two young men with him to c- help carry the supplies that they were going to need for the sacrifice. So we know that there were people that were following and watching and trying to figure out what is Abraham and Isaac. They were watching their faith. And whether you have friends, little ones at home, or at church, uh, at, in your church community, people are watching how we respond to God. And how we respond in our relationships is often critical in how we are able to reflect the glory of our good God to others. Think about that, how I respond in my relationships, the love, the forgiveness that I offer. There's no greater example for us to show the world around us of God working in us by acting like God to the other relationships that we have in this life. We need to realize that our focus has an audience, Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine uh, own understanding. Another thought under this focus on the Father is communication with the Father is vital in seasons of doubt. It's vital in seasons of doubt. Sometimes we have doubt in our relationships. God, what are you doing? He just said this. She just did that. My kids just went there. My boss just did this to me. And sometimes there can be seasons of doubt in our life. And when those doubts in our relationships arise, we need to be so careful to bring communication to our Father. Don't shut down, give up, or try to understand everything in your own strength. When you're not sure of the answers, if you can understand everything that is taking place in your life, chances are, chances are you're not living by faith. The Bible says without faith, it's what it's impossible to please him. And so we need to have communication with the father. Uh, Secondly, as we think about resting in the Lord and having rest in our relationships, number two, we want to memorialize the victories not the defeats, and in verses 8 and 9, David admonishes us, encourages us to cease from anger and to not do evil and to wait upon the Lord, and sometimes those can be our natural reactions. Somebody does something to us in a relationship, and something, sometimes the natural reaction is anger. It's frustration. Dare I say, evil, okay? We go to that place where somebody did this to me, and I'm going to forget that I'm a Jesus follower. I'm going to respond in this way, and David says, don't do that. Cease from those types of things. In other words, that's the way the natural man, that's the way all of us naturally want to react to those things. But again, the encouragement to rest. And so we need to memorialize the victories, not defeat. Now, something uh, many of us are familiar, of, uh, familiar with, if you've been on vacation before or you've visited some, some uh, special place, is paying the high cost for a dumb souvenir. Anybody out there? Right. You'll go to some store and you'll have had this great experience and you'll go and there's a coffee cup for a ridiculous amount of of money that, you know, you could get at the dollar store. But you're going to get it here because it it reminds you of something, reminds you of experience. Uh, Maybe you're not onto those those tangible things, but maybe you're more into taking pictures. I think the guys have a a picture here of. So this was a family vacation we took a few years ago. And maybe some of you have been. This is Crater Lake. And we've been to Crater Lake a couple times. It's beautiful. Um, But you know what? You're going to look at that picture. Hopefully, you see a a real nice family. You'll see God's creation, how beautiful it is. Um, But you guys won't understand the connection that I have to that photo, right? Because all you see is a freeze frame. You see a moment. But for me, I remember the events that led up to that. I remember the fun playing in the snow. I remember the stupid little snowman that we built that was this tall. And I remember all the moments uh, leading up to that time. How many are we there yet as we drove up there and all this kind of stuff. So I've got a connection to this that that you do not have. And there's something about all of us that we love a good story. We love a victory. We love these pinnacle moments and and these exciting stories. And we love to think about them. We love to be around people that uh, even tell those stories and share those pictures. And yet we spend much of our time dwelling on our own defeats or the things that we've not accomplished. We're prone to ask for prayer, but we're not quick to share praise. And again, in Psalm 37, we see that sometimes we have the tendency to look at the successes in our relationships that, in our opinion, should not have had success. Uh, that comparison causes us to, see, uh, to not see God's blessing in our own lives. And, and just like we did with Abraham and Isaac, I want to uh, take a, an example from the Bible of this idea of memorializing victories and not defeats by looking over at Joshua chapter 4 and you can turn there, I think the scriptures are going to be on the screen behind us. Uh, Pastor, the last couple weeks um, we've been talking about this story of Joshua and Joshua was kind of the extension and the promise of, of the children of Israel, uh, Israel and Moses to go into the promised land. Joshua's job was to conquer and they come to the Jordan River and God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something amazing. I'm going to part the, the, the Jordan River and you guys are going to go across on dry ground and as they go across on dry ground God tells Joshua and then Joshua Tells the people, "Listen, we're going to resurrect a monument to remember this moment, to remember this victory." And in Joshua chapter four, verse twenty-two, Joshua gives the reason. He says, "Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God." Did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. So Joshua knew in this moment, we're going to connect this moment to the moment that God had done some years before when we crossed the Red Seas, connecting the dots. But you see what they're doing? They're resurrecting a monument to this great victory that took place. In their life. And in Joshua chapter 5, they go to the, uh, they go to the city, the walled city of Jericho. Uh, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. You guys remember that story, right? And uh, they, that God does an amazing thing. The walls of Jericho drop. They go in. They march into the city. And God is just doing a miracle after miracle. And his grace is being shown upon Israel as they're going about and going into this promised land. When we get to Joshua chapter 6, things flip. Joshua chapter 6, it starts off, they're going to go into battle again, but instead of sending this great army and really even asking God about the situation, Joshua just sends kind of a small group of, of soldiers to go fight this battle that seemingly they should have won very easily. And yet because of that haste and that decision, and even greater because there was sin in the camp of Israel, those men perished. And so when we come to that moment in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 6, this is what Joshua is doing. It says, And Joshua rent his clothes and fell on the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide he and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all, uh, at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. So Joshua is in this place of, of, of kind of depression. He's in a dark space. He's asking God why and using some of the same excuses that the generation prior to complained to God about for bringing them out of Egypt. It was better for us. It was better than for us not to enter in the promise and to stay on the other side of the Jordan. And and don't you love it? Sometimes when we ask God questions, uh, God will give us an answer. Sometimes he doesn't. But then God will just like, okay, you want an answer? I'm going to give you an answer. And this is God's answer to Joshua. In verse 10, it says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Now, we would look at this situation and go, well, God, Joshua just, I mean, a bunch of his guys died. They just, now they look like failures in front of this really small, small army. Come on, God, give him some space for this moment. And yet God says, get up. Why are you on your face? Verse 11, uh, 11, Israel hath sinned, and they also have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. See, in this moment, God is reminding Joshua, as awesome as I am and as awesome as these victories have been that you've been experiencing in your life, there's a problem, Joshua, and rather than spending your time living in this defeat and being conquered by it, there's some sin in the life of Israel that needs to be dealt with, and if it's not dealt with, you're not going to experience any more victories. In your life. And so, as we think about this passage, again, correlating it back to Psalm 37, a couple thoughts about this. We need to place a high value on the victory in your relationships. Listen, as husbands and wives, as parents, as co workers, I hope there's some things in your life that you can celebrate the goodness of God. And sometimes you may have relationships in your life that they don't know Jesus, they're unsaved, and so they're not going to understand and experience blessings of God and the praise, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate those victories and give God honor and praise for when we know He is working in our lives. Have some things to look back on. Celebrate reconciliations or God's blessings for each other. Rather than looking and going, how come that's not happening to me? How come that seems to be happening to them and they don't, have, they don't have as close a walk with God? They don't seem to be as righteous I, as I am. We need to focus on the things that we can uh, celebrate and, and the victories. Let her be under this. Is when there is a defeat, deal with it and move on. See, that's what God was reminding Joshua. There is a problem here. You're not the problem, Joshua, but there is a problem of sin in this camp and it needs to be dealt with and we are all sinners and at the root of every relational problem is sin. Doesn't matter how right you are or how wrong the other person is, it's sin. And God wanted Joshua to know that there was no time to waste in sulking in this defeat. There was more for Israel and Joshua to do together. Don't be defeated by dwelling on the uh, on the failures in a relationship that has never produced anything good. There's a tendency in our human nature to quickly resurrect memorials to times of defeat or hurt from others in our life rather than remembering God's blessing. And it's, it's a weird thing because we, we don't want to think about defeat. I think like if we were to step back and we were to encourage somebody else, hey, don't spend all your time thinking about that. And yet oftentimes that's what we naturally do. We naturally have a tendency to go, this, I was hurt. And because I was hurt, this is how I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Because of how they treated me, this is how I'm now going to treat them rather than, uh, than seeking God through that and, and remembering God's blessing in your life. Nothing is worse in a relationship than when we let the cancer of pride and selfishness get away, uh, rather eat away at a relationship rather than dealing with the problem. That's what God was telling Joshua to do. And thirdly, under this idea of, of moralizing victories is r- remove toxic relationships so that godly relationships may thrive. Now that sounds a lot easier to say and maybe to write on paper. Um, but there are toxic relationships, just like Israel had in their camp, toxic relationships that quite honestly, and we won't spend the time to read that, but God had to deal with it super harshly. But there was grace shown towards the nation of Israel through dealing with the toxicity of that Relationship. This was a super hard lesson learned, but the strength of the nation was at stake. There may be some relationships in your life or the life of your family that may need to be removed in accordance to God's will for the more important relationships to flourish. And as parents and spouses, we have to be vigilant to speak into our family's life when perhaps relationships are not what they should be. There ought to be trust in our marriage relationship that if my wife perceives another relationship in my life that is not healthy, that is not beneficial to me personally, that is not beneficial to the strength of our family, I need to give them some, uh, some capital to speak into my life and say, hey, I don't think that's the best relationship for you to have as parents we need to look at the lives of our children and as best as we can protect them from the toxicity of the relationships how many of you understand the devil hates us having good relationships the God uh, God uh, uh, has uh, has given us the family has given these great blessings but the devil works against those things and if we're not careful we'll get rocked to sleep and not understand the importance of the relationships of things that are happening in our home and yet I think we understand that but we are also wanting to talk about What happens when I can't remove those toxic relationships? I think we all understand there are some relationships sometimes that we have in our life that they're covenanted. We've made a commitment. We've made a covenant. And it's hard to remove that relationship. You can't just always walk away. And what is our response? What is our reaction in those times when we cannot remove that? And here's it. And it's said a couple times in Psalm 37, we've got to wait on the Lord. We've got to wait. It's not what they did to me or what happened to me, it's what he is doing in me. The Hebrew word for, for rest that is seen in Psalm 37 is the same Hebrew meaning for a mother who would, who would coddle her child when the child is in a time of distress or pain and is comforting them and literally saying, shh. Maybe you've done that before as a parent. And that's the picture that God has. So it's not just a person that's anxious and worried. It's actually a person that's been hurt. And the, the, the commendation is for them to come to the Father and to rest in that Father's care where he can provide protection. Number three, quickly, is to find peace in patterns of humility. Find peace in patterns of humility. The Bible says in verse 11 of Psalm 37, the meek shall inherit. And he talks about the abundance of humility. Of peace And there's been some times in my life because of pride and because of selfishness, I have not allowed there to be a spirit of peace in the relationships that I have at home or maybe my friendship relationships. Peace is so important, but the catalyst for that peace to take place is seen in our humility. As we think about this thought uh, quickly, letter A, the unity of we has got to be greater than the rights of me. The unity of we is greater than the rights of me. Now, this is not to say that there won't be times when you're going to be right, and all the men said amen, right? (laughs) There's going to be some time, probably, in your life when you are right, okay? But the unity has got to be greater than our rights. Um, Jesus was right in every situation and in every argument. I think we understand that, right? Anything that he ever faced um, he was always right. But listen to this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction or rebellion of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Uh, the writers, they're reminding us that if we don't treat our relationships the way that Jesus treated relationships... We're going to faint. We're going to get brokenhearted. We're going to be weary. And yet we've got to treat those relationships and treat those situations with humility and with love. So the unity of we is greater than the rights of me. But let her be under this thought view meekness as a strength. You know, meekness is the ability to put others before yourself in order of importance. Now, again, that seems like really easy to say and, and read. But how many of you figured out that's pretty hard to do sometimes? And all the men said, okay. Yeah. So sometimes it's hard to put. People in front of ourselves, but that is that is the definition of meekness. God reminds us that meekness is a quality that He expects from His children, and that meekness fosters God's blessing. If we want peace in our relationships, that peace is going to only equal the amount of meekness and humility that you have in your relationship. And sometimes I'm fearful that because of maybe the the position that we've been given. As a father, as a spouse, as a boss, whatever the position, maybe a position at church, we equate the position as as because I have this position, I therefore can't be meek. I therefore can't have the type of power. And yet God would say true leadership is being humble. It is serving and and deferring to the needs of others. And so we've got to view meekness as a strength. And last is we're thinking about resting in our relationships. I want us to think about this thought is that we need to reflect on the value that God has placed on us all. Reflect on the value that God has placed on us all. By the way, not just Christian people. Not, the, not people that just look like my skin color. Not the people that live in my neighborhood or go to my church. Reflect on the value that God has placed on us all. Psalm 37, verse 16, it says, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. And I love David. He's saying that, and it's true, but there is a tendency for us to think, well, I'm trying my best to be righteous, but I don't have everything that I think I need. I don't have everything I want. And David would remind you, listen, it's better to have a very small amount and have a righteous life, a life that is in tune and in fellowship with God the Father, rather than having all of this stuff and facing what lies ahead for somebody who just lives a life. Of, of, of wickedness, all right? There is this con- this comparison of, of being right or being rich. And God's economy is way different than our own. A couple thoughts under this idea of reflecting on the value uh, that God has placed on all of us. His letter A is God has created us all equally in his image. God has created us all equally in his image. Now that that is true despite any hang-ups you have. Any things that you feel like physically... Wish God had made me a little bit different in this way. Never forget that God has made us equally in his image. Genesis 127, I love this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God, <laughs> just in that one verse, God really wants us to know he was the creator. He was the one shaping. He was the one making us, all right? And we were made equally in his image. Let her be under this is Jesus died for us all. Equally. Thank God for that. There's not someone who's lived or who's living now or who will live where Jesus loved them more so to die for their sin more so. God died for all of our sins equally. Romans 5:10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jesus' sacrifice was for all of us. Again, let her see under this is Jesus loves us all unconditionally. He loves us all unconditionally. We always don't love him the way that we should, but he loves us all unconditionally for God so loved the world. That's all of us. Praise God for that. And so we need to understand those things, and that leads us to this this last thought under under this idea is we are not God, but through his help, we can value others the way that he does. We live in a world that is completely fighting against this, right? Uh, You live and you work in worlds where people are telling you this is the respect you should have for this group and, and, and maybe over here don't give your time to this group over here or whatever. And we just have this, this way where we judge people and, and we look at things in a skewed way rather than the way God would have us uh, to look at people. But with God's help, we can see others. We can look into our home and don't see our kids as just, as, as just something that annoys us and something that I have to do because I brought them into this world and I have to go to work for them, and I have to provide for them. We don't just see them as people living in our home. We don't see our spouse as just somebody that, that helps me uh, you know, do this and helps me do that in my life, or, or we don't see the people at work that just help us to have an end goal. We see people in our lives the way that God would see people. We try to love people the way that God loves people and, and is humble and is, and is sacrificial to those people. God can help us through that. Perhaps many of you remember the moment on January 28th, in 1986, when the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded, 73 seconds after takeoff. I remember um, we were sitting in our little uh, travel trailer and we had a little 13-inch television, and uh, we were watching that that Space Shuttle take off, and uh, I remember watching as it exploded. All seven crew members were killed. And what's interesting about that is the night before the disaster. NASA officials had a conference call with the officials and engineers at the company that had actually designed the rocket boosters. And one of the engineers recommended canceling the launch, telling NASA officials that the cold temperatures where the space shuttle was going to be launched, it was too cold and could adversely affect the equipment in the boosters, which could in turn cause an explosion. A further investigation also found that sleep, uh, sleep deprivation caused by a culture of overwork at NASA played a critical role in the decision by the managers to ignore the engineer's advice. Two of the top managers involved in the conference call had been awake for 23 hours straight at the time of the call and had only slept three hours the day previous. See, what we see here is two relationships took place. The stakes, we understand the stakes were pretty high, right? Not only was there a lot of money on the line, not only was there a schedule to keep, there were seven people's lives at stake. And yet, because of timelines, because of financial decisions, because of unrest, they decided to put it all on the line, and there was great tragedy that took place as a result. There was a great cost. And no doubt, relationships take work, but that is only half of the equation. To have relationships that, fr- uh, that thrive, we need to have the peace and rest that is only found through Jesus. The hope we find in Christ can then translate into the peace in our relationships. So I don't know where you're at this morning. Hopefully you've, you've got some relationships that you can be thinking about. Man, in this area of my relationship maybe it's a husband and a wife and you know there's this thing. There's this thing. And you're not resolving it. And God's leading you through His Holy Spirit. Hey, deal with this. this maybe it's a sin thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a thing that needs to be settled. Um, Husbands, maybe maybe there is someone in your life and, and maybe a, a pastor or a spiritual leader, or maybe, maybe even a spouse is coming to you and saying, "Hey, I, I don't know that that's the most healthy relationship for you have. Maybe you're a young person here today and you found yourself in some toxic relationships and you know that they're pulling you farther away from the Lord. And it'll let God lead us in our relationships. Maybe you're here this morning and you can't, you can't just walk away from the relationship, right? Let God work through you. That's not always the easy answer, but I believe that's why in Psalm 37, just in those passages we we read, David said, wait upon the Lord. It's hard to wait. Because I can feel like if I just did this, it would make this situation better. And sometimes God would just encourage us in our relationships, hey, rest. Don't worry about all the things that you think you can do to resolve the situation. If there's a move to be made, do it. But maybe at the end of the day, you just need to to rest in him, to let your relationship, however good or bad it may be, to rest that relationship in my care and let me work through your life. God, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. We thank you for the fact that, God, you give us relationships. That when you created Adam, you just didn't stop there. You just didn't see Adam with all the animals and think everything's great. But that, God, you gave him not just a wife, but you gave him a friend. You gave him a relationship, Lord, that he could be comforted in, that he could find a relationship and find value in. And that because of that that relationship, other relationships could take place. Other relationships could be fostered. Lord, I pray here this morning for those that are, are here and Perhaps their relationships, whether at home, uh, maybe at school, maybe it's at work. Uh, right now, they're thinking about a relationship that maybe they wish they didn't have, or, or now that they found themselves in the relationship, they're trying to figure out how to cope with the, the, the defeat that's, that's there and that's present. Lord, I pray that you'd give grace. And above all, Lord, help us to rest in your care. And as that, that beautiful picture in the Hebrew word that you're, you're shushing us, you're telling us to calm down, to not be anxious, to not worry. Don't worry about everything else that everybody else is doing, to just rest in you. And I hope, I pray that you'd help us to have that spirit about us this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know how God would speak to you this morning uh, through a message like this, but I, I do believe that God always works. The Bible says that his word will never return void. It's always going to accomplish that which he sets out, uh, what, what he wants it to do. So maybe you're here this morning, and uh, you, you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, uh, but God has been working in your heart. Maybe you have a relationship. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's with a child. Uh, maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe it's with a coworker. Um, but you'd say, uh, Ryan, I believe God has, is is uh, is trying to teach me something about that relationship, and probably the biggest thing I, I need right now is just for God's grace and God's wisdom and how to handle the relationship I'm currently in. If you're like that this morning, would you raise your hand just so I could pray for you? Maybe you've got a relationship like that. All right, you can put your hands down. Maybe you're here this morning, and the biggest relationship that you need to find out and the biggest relationship that you need to start is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you, you would say as you come here together this morning that I've got some relationships that, that I need work on, but the first and primary relationship I need to have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, sometimes we ask the question like this, are you 100% sure that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? And if you're here this morning and you don't know the answer to that question, you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would love to just simply pray for you. I won't point you out. But I'd like to go to the Father on your behalf. If you're here this morning, you would say, Ryan, I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, but I could see the value in knowing that, and I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you just raise your hand real quickly? No one's going to come to you or embarrass you, but if you're here like that this morning, and you don't know Jesus, would you raise your hand real quickly so I could pray for you? All right, thank you. Let's all stand together. And the music's being played, and uh, the song's called Jesus is Our Living Hope. And hope for all of us this morning that we would look at our relationships and see that that is truly the answer. In every relationship that we have, that Jesus has to be the hope. It has to be the foundation. So I want to encourage you just right now, as the music's playing, uh, if God's working in your heart, maybe God's brought a relationship to your mind, would you spend some time in prayer for that relationship? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we have counselors up front that would love to take you in a private area and show you from God's Word how you can know Jesus as your Savior. If you've got a relationship problem that you would simply just like to have prayer for, I'd encourage you to come forward and spend some time at the front. So as the music plays, you guys do business with God.